0: We're here today on Crew Call with Emily Carmichael, the co-screenwriter with Colin Trevorrow of this weekend's Jurassic World Dominion. So Emily, tell us about landing this big writing gig on what is the finale of Jurassic World. How How did it all happen? Was it was it Colin you pitched first? Was it Donna, a universal? So Colin is somebody who
1: just decides he will decide who he wants to work with. He will work with people who he trusts and believes in people whose work he's seen. Um, So he doesn't do a lot of like auditions or bake offs. So I knew Colin really well um, since he, a few years earlier, had been the person who got me my big break. He sent a script that I wrote to Spielberg, Spielberg liked it, chaos and drama and excitement ensued. um, And I became a professional screenwriter writing blockbusters, which was all an extremely thrilling time. And I had written this script called The Black Hole, which I really loved. This is this Disney movie. It's a reboot of Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: very, yeah. Oh, very cool.
1: Super. I'm still I'm I still just love that script. And I'm so I was so like in love with writing it. And I was talking to him about it the whole time. And then at some point he was just like, Hey, just just send me black hole. Just you know, just shoot it over. He didn't say why. <laughs> I was like, OK, whatever. And I like emailed it to him. And he was like, OK. And then a couple of days later, I get this phone call being like, do you want to write Jurassic World with me? So he had read Black Hole. Um, he liked what he saw. Um, I think the one person that he ran it by was Pat Crowley. I think he sent it to Pat Crowley as well. And Pat Crowley was like, read the script and was like, yeah, this is, this is good. This woman, this woman can do it. Um, so he was just like, do you want to write Jurassic World with me?
0: Um, <laughs> So, you've totally just detoured this entire interview. We will not talk be talking about Jurassic world. I want to know everything about the black hole now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so wait a second. So where it? what is the status of the black hole in development? because it it was a I mean, it's a Disney property.
1: It's where a is it property. Um, the last that I laid hands on it, I was writing a draft that Justin Springer and Joe Kaczynski, who is attached to direct the movie, were very, very excited about. And Joe was like, this is what I'm going to direct immediately after Top Gun. Um, So we're all very happy about Top Gun. This is a very exciting time. Um, So we'll see what happens um, with Black Hole. I will say that Dewanda Wise, who is absolutely such a breakout star in Jurassic World, would be amazing as the lead of Black Hole. Um,
0: as a as a uh, rogue space captain can you give us the now can you give us the gist of your version of black hole because i i like as a kid yeah. a huge fan of it uh i had the uh the record and the uh i had the vinyl record and the book and listened to it nonstop. was obsessed had a cousin have a cousin named vincent there was a droid named vincent Uh that blew my mind. Uh Um, Maximilian, Max was the name of my dog and also the villain in Paul. So enough of that and that, enough of that geeking out, but it was, you know, in hindsight, a slow burn of a movie. Exactly. And it, what, what, what's the setup? Can you
1: give us, I I have so, so much to say about this. So I talk to people and people who are about our age, remember Mm -hmm. the movie exactly the way you do, which is I was a kid, I was excited and scared by the imagery. um, And the possibility of the robots really stuck with me. And the Maximilian was really scary and Vincent was really lovable. um, But the movie was a little long and talky. Um, And that's, (laughs) that is exactly how I feel about the movie. I know some people really like the like philosophical, like slow burn of it all. Um, But the movie was always explained to me as like Disney's attempt to do Star Wars before Star Wars was Disney. And there's a moment in the movie where, um, you know, it's in act three, and they have to hustle from one end of the ship to the other. And suddenly this like Star Warsy adventure music starts playing. Mm -hmm. And you're like, guys, this is not the movie that you're making. It's like Disney trying to do Star Wars without having any conception of like what that was. Um, so the idea was to take the movie and um, really uh, dig into those elements that we love, like the the spectacle and the existential and philosophical wonder of being at the brink of a black hole with a mad scientist who wants to take you into it, and giving that a fast, fun adventure feel.
0: Wow! Wow! Now you arrive to Jurassic World. What has been laid out by Colin? Did he have a a whole treatment for you to riff off of? Was this always talked about as being a wrap up?
1: At the time that I signed on, there were some very uh, basic story elements in place from Colin's work with Derek. So we knew that there were gonna be these two adventure plot lines that were gonna collide with the old cast and the new cast being set in motion in different ways and converging in the movie. Um, And the way in which they converge and the point in the movie at which they converge was one of the things that changed a lot as we were writing Um, because we knew it's what we were leading up to. We knew it was what the audience wanted to see um, and figuring out how to make it happen and how to make it um, feel exciting and fulfill that promise was, A challenge. Um, So we, it's really funny because the moment when the old cast meets the new cast for the first time, it's one of those scenes that I wrote like 15 different versions of, Uh, you know, it'd be like, we would be sending scenes back and forth and I'd be like, okay, try this okay, try this, Um, and then you watch the movie, and what they say when they see each other for the first time is nothing. They say nothing. They look at each other, and the shot is them looking at each other, and it's so powerful, Um, which is just, you know, it's the nature of of writing. Sometimes we say more by saying
0: less. So could you, for for those that are listening, because she's a key character in, in this next movie, Maisie Lockwood, Yes. Coming off of the second film and going into this film, she kind of becomes this adoptive daughter of Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's character.
1: Yeah. What an amazing performance from Izzy. Like she's spectacular. Um, the whole production team, I think, was very on board with this idea um, that she's a teenager now. She's, um, she's troubled. She's defiant. She's self-sufficient. She's very cool. She has great lines. She has great delivery. Um, So you can really see the evolution of that character from sort of the frightened uh, Spielberg child who is like wide-eyed in wonder um, to the next phase of that child's life as she enters her
0: defiant teen years. But coming out of the second one, what was key? Because that was set in a mansion. There were a lot of dinosaurs running around. Whether people liked it or not. (laughs) What was the key jumping?
1: So she's revealed to be a clone. Right. A clone of somebody who has died. She's an unauthorized clone. She was made as the product of illegal scientific experimentation which is the source of a lot of this character's psychological issues because she doesn't know um, where she came from and why. Um, She doesn't know who created her and what their motivations were. Um, It feels to her sometimes like she is a science experiment and like there is no place on earth where she belongs. This is one of the things emotionally that she's dealing with in this movie. In this movie we find a new twist and a surprising new angle about her creation, about the beginning of her life, and about her mom because that's one of the things that happens in this movie. Um, Just like uh, Beta and Blue are mother and daughter dinosaurs, we have Maisie and Charlotte who are mother and daughter humans.
0: Can you talk about what was important thematically in this final Jurassic world, you have themes on invasion of species. And of course, as we kick off the coexistence with nature's beasts and the ever going and the everlasting DNA splicing, which is <laughs> Jurassic Park as Jurassic Park gets. But, but could you talk about that? What was Colin like? We got to get these things out. What was he what was he um, assertive about?
1: Well, thematically, you know, the theme always remains the same, which is the theme of respect for nature. Something really sunk in for me as I was writing this movie, um, which is that we talk a lot about species and which species are related to which other species. And we talk about um, you know, which species are our forebear species and what is our family. Um, and the more you think about it, the more you realize that all life is related. All life is our family. We are part of a family that includes all living things on this planet. And Having respect for that fact, um, even when it's not convenient for us, even when dinosaurs become a form of life that is hard to contain, that is difficult, that is dangerous if we don't show respect for it, figuring out how to coexist and work together to ensure the survival of life on this planet is and always will be the enduring theme of Jurassic.
0: Now, in your writing of this, did you ever go back to Crichton?
1: I didn't personally. I think we, oh, I remember now, actually. Um, we floated around some passages from Crichton for things that Ian Malcolm could say, um especially in his address to the company. We see him making this corporate address to like a room full of like wide-eyed employees who are like hanging on his every word. And we uh, we went back to Crichton and, like, read some things that Crichton was having him say. They seemed really good. We did a couple of versions. Um, and then, of course, Jeff came and just wrote his own thing to say. <laughs> um, so it was fun. We got to see a lot of different versions of
0: what Ian Malcolm might say when he stepped up on that stage. And in the universe building of this, you know, when I say go back to Crichton, do you have access to far more than just his books?
1: Uh, We may as like a a entity. um, I didn't personally see any of that. I just, um, me and Colin exchanged some passages that are in the books.
0: Now, Zia Rodriguez, my favorite character. from She's in here briefly.
1: Yeah, so I also want to see more of that character. Um, And I'm also excited to see her for the portion of time that we see her, but I'm definitely like, if i if there's a next Jurassic movie for me, it's definitely something about like Kayla and Zia on an adventure together.
0: I can't imagine that this is the last one. I just oh, can't. of course not. yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know this ends with the dinosaurs truly taking over the earth, you know, and us going back into a whole ice age again. yeah that's that's how this whole entire franchise ends. I love it. <laughs> How far in advance did you know that Jeff, Sam, and Laura were going to be booked in the franchise? It's so
1: strange, you know, because this is, this is starting to be a really long time ago now. I distinctly remember the moment when Colin was like, it's confirmed, they're all in, they're all excited. Um, but I also, I don't remember what the story is or would have been before that. Uh, since they're so integral, since they are the story, like the story of these um, various adventure plot lines converging, that's what the movie is. Um, So I'd have to go back to the historical record and tell you the exact step of the process at which that occurred.
0: This is something, this is something about the overall job of being, you know, a major studio Hollywood screenwriter. Um, You know, It's one of compromise, meaning it's about being flexible. Mm -hmm. Can you
1: talk about that? I mean, well, that seems- Flexible collaboration. Yes. It's a collaborative process. So for me, it was really, um, there was this moment we, me and Colin had just watched a concert of uh, Michael Giacchino conducting an orchestra to play the Jurassic score. Um, And we were sitting in, I want to say this was Washington or in Washington D.C. And he was like, "You." He's like, "You know, you don't understand because so far this process for you has been the same process that writing has always been, which is like me and you sitting in a room working out the story together. So you you don't really know yet how big this thing is and how global it is and how different it's going to feel once the eyes of global Jurassic fans are on this movie. And I'm starting to get a sense of that now." But Colin, what he was saying was very accurate to the experience of of the time. It was just like me and my writer buddy in a room working out the story of the movie. Um, we'd had very, very little oversight. Colin has a lot of trust. Um, Colin's really, um, you know, the architect of the franchise. And I think everybody uh, at uni really trusts that he uh, is the one with the vision and knows knows where it all leads. So we did not have a lot of, you know, we didn't have uh, Peter or Donna being like, do this, do that. Um, we were really We were really free to sort of craft it crafted ourselves. So in many ways, it was more of a indie artistic experience Mm -hmm. uh, when it came to writing the movie. Uh, And then that indie artistic experience continued as the actors like put their own stamp on the lines. And once again, a very like, Indie film kind of way, it's like, oh, you know these characters well. You understand the framework of the scene that we have laid out. Like, how do you think Sattler would say this? How do you think Grant would say this? Like, what, what do you? How do you? How do you um, express and realize the architecture that we have
0: laid out for you? So, Universal is is known for its diversity in front of the in front and behind the camera, and they were. You know, one of the the great things here is you are the first female screenwriter on this franchise.
1: I am not. The You're first not. Okay, big correction. Because they were,
0: big correction. <laughs> I know that they were very. You know. You know. They're very proud about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, um, when you became attached.
1: Well, I'm very proud as well. I'm very proud um, and grateful uh, and happy to be here. And uh, there is no good reason on earth why about half of these movies aren't written by women. Um,
0: I was going to ask you, do you feel there's a small doorway for female screenwriters in Hollywood when it comes to landing jobs on big 10-pole movies? Right.
1: So um, female directors are outnumbered by male directors today by about five to one. Um, Female screenwriters are slightly less outnumbered by male screenwriters, Um, but there is no good reason for this. There's no, uh, you know, neuronal cluster in the male brain that like makes them super good at action movies. That's just not a thing. Um, There might be some difference in like taste and execution, um, but when you look at who watches action adventure movies, you look at who watches Marvel movies and Jurassic movies, the crowds are pretty evenly split. Mm-hmm. So oh. there are so there there might be an illusion of scarcity. There might be a sense of like, oh well, there's only a few women who can handle this type of material, but that is absolutely an illusion. And if you are a woman and you can handle this type of material and you are out there and you haven't had an opportunity like this yet, I see you.
0: Amen. The can advice for screenwriters out there. I know, I know you came from playwriting, you went into short films, but for young screenwriters, if you wanna show to a rep, Hey, I'm serious about doing this for my career. What do you recommend? Is it the same old adage of three spec scripts? Uh you know, as much as you can, as much as you can push across the table.
1: Yeah, I think I think if you if you're coming at it with three spec scripts in the exact genre that you want to work with, work in, that's great. Um, I would say write exactly what you want a job writing. Um, because you don't want to ask people to imagine anything. You don't want to be like, here is my spy movie, and I would like you to imagine what a space adventure by the screenwriter of the spy movie is like. You want to write the space adventure, or you want to work writing spy movies if you want to write spy movies. Um, But come to the table
0: with something that is as exactly like the thing you want to make as possible. Got it. Don't... Don't take a spy movie spec, put it across the table for a Dawson's Creek reboot. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Um, going back to the beginning, can you tell us about your thesis film out of NYU, The Hunter and the Swan, discussing? Yeah. Can yeah. You talk about that as a game changer for you.
1: Yeah. Um, that was certainly a game changer because that was our Sundance movie. I had had a lot of success on the festival circuit um, with my short films, The Adventure of and Nix*, um, And those are animated movies. So The Hunter and the Swan uh, was the first time uh, that I went to Sundance with a short film that had humans in it, that had human actors in it. I'm somebody who loves animation. I did I actually directed a uh, puppet theater in <laughs> college um I directed a, a me and one other person made a production of Macbeth entirely with puppets so I've, I've always loved sort of like creatures and monsters and characters who are drawn who are illustrated but my real passion is really in collaborating with actor with human beings who are going to embody the characters themselves physically so the hunter and the swan was the first moment um that I got to do that on a big stage. And it's the movie that Colin saw that made him want to meet me. Um, So I will be forever grateful to, uh,
0: to that movie. Emily Carmichael on the verge of a huge global blockbuster this coming weekend. Thank you. You're welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.